Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week we continue our series, Changing the Way You Think, Paul's First Letter to the Corinthians. And today's message is the second of a two-part message brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly. And it's entitled, Leadership. Well, good morning. Well, uh, today we are continuing this series. We've been in now for a few weeks called uh, Changing the Way You Think. It's a study in the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, if you were here a couple weeks ago, you know we started into a new section on leadership. Uh, chapters 3 and chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians are all about leadership. And of course, this was a big issue for the Apostle Paul because there was a lot of problems in the church of Corinth in the area of leadership. And so he needed to address these problems. But fortunately for us, it, it teaches us some great principles in the process about leadership and how leadership should be done. And uh, it's important for most of us because if you stop and think of us, most of us probably have been or will be in an important place of leadership. For example, if you're a husband, uh, you're a leader in your marriage, right? If you're a parent, you're a leader in your child's life. Very few areas of leadership are more important than the leadership role we play as uh, parents. If you're a grandparent, you have grandchildren, you're a manager at your office, you're the vice president of a bank, you run uh, a crew out on the construction site, um, you... Uh, or work in a community uh, service area. You're here at the church. You lead a life group. You run a, a children's class. Just It goes on and on. But most of us, sooner or later, will find ourselves in a place of leadership. And what we learned in chapter 3 last time was that when God raises us to a place of leadership, it's so important that we lead well and that God holds us accountable for that. And so we want to talk about that today. And uh, I've got to warn you, this is a long chapter. We're covering all of chapter 4 today. And if, you know, and if you've ever studied the Apostle Paul, he's not like the clearest writer in the world, you know, he like takes a lot of rabbit trails and sometimes it's a little hard to follow him. And so, uh, but the whole chapter hangs together. So we're going to cover the whole thing. So you need to be on the edge of your seats, kind of sit up and, uh, and we'll jump in. I've broken it up into a couple sections there on your note sheet. You notice the first section we'll talk about is called Criticism in Corinth, Paul Under Fire. And then if you turn the page, you'll see there's a second section where it says, Paul, follow my example. And so as we get started, what I want to do is focus in on that Criticism in Corinth section and kind of give you an overview of where the chapter goes. And then we'll jump through, jump in and, and walk through it together. Um, as I mentioned last time, that Paul's uh, leadership was often criticized in Corinth. Was, his, his credentials were often questioned, um, and for a bunch of reasons. Uh, first of all, they didn't see him as that great a speaker, and they were really into public speaking. Uh, secondly, he didn't really refer a lot to their philosophers, and a lot of them were really into philosophy. We've talked about that. But more than that, there was a bigger issue. I said, in the, the church in Corinth, when they thought of leadership, they have a particular image of a leader that came to their mind. It was someone who was very successful, someone who was very influential, often very wealthy, held positions of power in the community, very well respected. And that was just not the Apostle Paul. I mean, he came in and his message was very countercultural. He came in talking about a crucified Messiah, which made no sense to anybody, and he was often rejected by the culture. In fact, he would often be chased from town to town. He was often thrown in prison. And so the Corinthians are looking at this guy saying, so you're God's man? So you're God's leader? I mean, if you're really God's leader, how come he's not helping you out more? You're always in a jam. Your life is a mess, you see? And so they were having a hard time uh, accepting his leadership because he suffered so much in his life. On the other hand, they looked at themselves and they said, hey, we're pretty cool. Life is going well for us. We're fitting in with our culture. We're successful. And so they saw themselves as very spiritually mature. 
they saw themselves as, as really wise people, you know, right up there with God kind of thing, very close with God. And the reality was the reason life was going so well for them was they were compromising all over the place. They were fitting in with their culture, and that's why they were doing so well. And so the Apostle Paul is going to say, you know what? You need to change the way you think about leadership. You need to change the way you evaluate leaders. You need to change the way you think about yourself. You're so full of pride, you're really not as mature as you think. And if you're serious about following Jesus, you're going to have to follow more my example and the examples of the apostles, you know, if we're going to really grow up and be spiritually mature. So that's the passage, okay? That's where we're going to go with it. But now let's jump in and let's start at verse 1. Chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, So then, uh, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ. Uh, Remember that we saw this in chapter 3, that leadership is about servanthood. It's not about being a celebrity. It's about being a servant. So he said, Men um, ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Remember back in chapter 2, Paul said that in the Old Testament, God had not revealed his plan of salvation for the human race. It was hidden. And so, but those secret things have now been revealed in the gospel, right? And so Paul's job is to take the message of Christ, the secret of God, the secret of salvation, and share God's secret with all the world. So he says, verse 1, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ, as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now, it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. In other words, when God puts you in a place of leadership in your life, he's requiring that you do a good job. Now, Paul, he knows he's being criticized heavily in Corinth, but he says, frankly, verse 3, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear. There's God and I are close. I think I'm leading well, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, here's my advice to you, Corinthians. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. See, they were judging their leaders, weren't they? I'm of Paul. I'm of Paulos. Uh, I'm of Peter. He says, you're making these judgments about who the best leader is. He says, my advice to you is just take a time out. <laughs> Stop evaluating your leaders like that. Wait until Jesus comes back. He knows what's going on, the motives of the heart. He knows how to evaluate people. It's his job. So verse 5, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. He will expose the motives of the leader's hearts. And at that time, each will receive his praise from God. Now, now he, ta- now he begins to talk, uh, uh, kind of, uh, changes direction. He wants to talk about the problem behind the problem. The surface problem in Corinth is that they're dividing over leadership, right? That's their, they're fighting over leadership. But the real problem, the heart problem, is a problem of the heart. That they, they have a problem with pride, like we talked about. And the reason they were dividing is because they had to divide to show who were the smartest people in their congregation. You know, it's like, oh, I'm smart enough. No, he's better. I need to show you how smart I am so I can recognize the best leader, you see. And so Paul begins to address this issue of pride. He says, now, brothers, verse 6, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. Remember in chapter 3 and 4, he's been using himself and Apollos as a case study on leadership. How do you think about leadership? Let's talk about Apollos, talk about me, use this as a case study. So, so I've, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. And then you will not take pride in one man against another. And he says, for what, who makes you different 
from anyone else. Now stop and think about this. Have you ever had this experience in your life where God will show you an amazing truth, something you didn't know before, and just have an aha moment, God shows you something really amazing, and at first you're just so thankful. God, thank you for showing me that. I couldn't have figured that on my own. You showed me that. But about a year later, you're getting really irritated with everyone else who can't see that same truth. You ever had that? It's like, you know, when you first chose you, you just, God, thank you. I never could have figured that out. But then pretty soon it's like, oh, it's like, oh, I'm so smart. I know this. Why don't you know this? What's wrong with you? You see? And so that's what was going on with them. And uh, so he says, um, for who makes you different from anyone else? Verse 7. What do you have that you did not receive? Any insights that we have in life, they come from God, don't they? And so, you know, we shouldn't act as if they didn't. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though they did not? Now, in verse 8, Paul is going to start getting a little sarcastic with them, which I love because I'm a little sarcastic and I love the biblical precedent. But anyway, um, it, in verse, uh, and he's going to get a little sarcastic because, remember, they see themselves as, man, these are spiritually mature people. We're spiritually mature. They see themselves as spiritual kings, spiritually rich Maybe you remember in the book of Revelation, in chapter 3, Jesus writes a letter to the church of Laodicea. And remember, he says, um, you know, you think you're so rich and you think you're well fed and you think you have nothing, you need, have need of nothing. He says, but the reality is you are wretched and poor and pitiful and blind and naked. Well, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> oh, wow, I'm feeling good now. So, uh, and so it's amazing our capacity for self-deception in spiritual things, isn't it? Many times we can think we're so mature, and the reality is we're so immature. Well, that's the Corinthians. They see themselves as so rich. We're like spiritual kings. And so to get at them, Paul's going to start getting a little sarcastic here. Just a little. Okay, verse 8. He said, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings. Oh, and that without us. How I wish you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. See? And in verse 9, he's going to use an analogy. Let me explain it to you. In the ancient world, when a Roman general would go out on a major military campaign and have success, when they would come back into Rome, they would throw a huge party, like a huge, pick, uh, huge uh, parade for them, like a ticker take it, uh, tape type parade down you know, the streets of New York or something like that, if you can picture that. And so they would have people along the side. You know, everyone's lined up to watch the general and his armies come back, and they would be marching in in all their glory. And people would be burning incense in the, on, the, on, the, on the sidewalks and so on. It was just this huge, amazing thing. That was going on. And, and, at the, and so it would be the general and then his army. And then at the end of the army, come shackled together, would come all the prisoners of the foreign war, some of the famous prisoners. And they would march these people through the streets. And everyone would mock at them and point at them, these kings that had been captured and so on. They, and they would take them to the Colosseum that's still there in Rome today. And they would the, the, they'd take them inside the Colosseum. And, uh, and people, of course, would be filling. All the spectators would be in the stands. And they would watch. And then they would release these prisoners. And they would either kill them with gladiators, or they would kill them with wild animals, like the lions. Remember the movie Gladiator and that whole thing? They, that's what they would do. And so there'd be this spectacle. These, these, and what Paul's going to say is, he says, you know what, you Corinthians, you think you're so mature because life is going so well. If you want to look at what true maturity looks like, look at the apostles, the, the ones that we know are spiritually mature, and look at the suffering they're going through. He says, often that God's leaders will go through hard times. You see, it's, it's not always going to be easy. And so he says in verse 9, For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, end of the parade, like men condemned to die in the arena. 
See, like in the, in the Colosseum. We have been made a spectacle until the whole world is watching in the stands. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We, we apostles, we are fools for Christ. Oh, but you Corinthians, you're so wise in Christ. We are weak. Oh, you're so strong. You are honored. We are dishonored to this very hour. And he begins to talk about how hard leadership can be at times. And we'll talk about this more later. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we're cursed, we bless. And when we are persecuted, we endure. And when we're slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. See, God's leaders. He says, the way you're thinking about leadership is all wrong in Corinth, the way God's leaders work. Okay? Now, in verse 14, we move in this next section there in your note sheet. Where Paul is going to say, listen, you guys need to wise up. You need to change the way you think about leadership. You need to follow me and follow my example. So he says in verse 14, he says, hey, I'm not writing this to shame you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but I'm warning you. You're in danger. I'm warning you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ. So there's a lot of leaders that have risen up since Paul's left the church of Corinth. And they're like guardians. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in, your, in, in Christ Jesus, I became like your spiritual father through the gospel. You see, when Paul had the privilege of leading these believers to Christ. And so he became like their spiritual father. He says, therefore, verse 16, since I'm your spiritual father, I urge you to imitate me. It's so fun to be around children who are little children and watch them imitate their father. I remember when I was in fifth grade and uh, I got glasses for the first time. And I think I looked like such a nerd, such a nerd kid, you know. And yet I was so proud because I looked just like my dad, you know. I remember him giving the big old glasses and everything. And then I remember standing in front of the mirror just wanting to be like my dad and wanting to imitate my dad. And, you know, if I look back, it's probably I look like the nerdiest kid in the fifth grade, probably. But I didn't really care because I was imitating my dad. And he says, hey, imitate me. Verse 17. And for this reason, I'm sending you Timothy. Now, Timothy was another man that Paul had led to Christ personally. He was a young pastor that Paul was training up to be a pastor. He became very famous in the early church. In fact, in the, in the New Testament, the books of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are written to this man. And so to tell him how to lead the church. And so he says, for this reason, I'm sending you another model like Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. And he'll remind you of my way of life in Christ. You know, many times in life we need models, don't we? We don't just need a letter from someone saying, live like, we need a model. And Paul realizes that. He says, live life the way I do. I'm going to send my son Timothy, my spiritual son, and he'll watch him, watch his way of life. You see, he, you can model off of Timothy. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some of you, these leaders, some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God 
See, when God's at work in a person's life, for the kingdom of God, it's not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. He says, I know you there in Corinth. You, you're so enamored with these amazing speakers you have in town and so on. And, and, but he says, it's not about speaking. It's not, the kingdom of God is not about words. The kingdom of God is about supernatural encounter with the living God. It's about power. And he says, so when I come back, I'm going to find out whether these, these leaders you have are really uh, the real deal or not. In verse 21. He says, so what do you prefer? He says, I'm like a spiritual father. I'm coming home. Dad's coming home. <laughs> uh, what do you prefer? Shall I come home with a whip or in love and with a gentle spirit? You know, pa- dad's coming home. He calls home. He hears the house is a mess. Kids are fighting. You know, whipped cream's all over everything. He says, so what do you want? Do you want to get your act together now? Or do you want me to help you get your act together when I get there? You want me to keep my belt on? Take my belt off. You say, do you want me to come with a whip or do you want to, uh, to kind of solve this on your own? And so we can have a joyful reunion when I come. Okay, so that's the passage. Now, long passage. Let me stand back, quick review, okay? And then we'll jump in the principles. So it starts off, the, the Corinthians are questioning his leadership. They're criticizing his leadership. Paul says, hey, be careful how you judge leaders. Wait till Jesus comes back. And in the meantime, I know you have a really big head and you think really, like you're really great spiritual leaders, but you're really not. And you need, if you want to see what spiritual leadership is, look at the apostles. Look at what they're, see, they're being true to God and they're suffering. You're not being true to God. And so you're in great spiritual danger. You need to stop compromising with your culture. Follow my example. Get your act together. Cause my dad, cause I'm coming home. You see, dad's coming home and we need to get this right. So that's the flow. Now, at the time that we have together, what I want to do is talk about three practical principles of leadership. And what I've done is broken down and I'd like you to do some um, evaluation in your own life. And so I've turned them into three questions for us today, three critical questions for us whenever we're in a place of leadership. But before we go into that, what I'd like to do is have you just take a second and do what I asked you to do a couple weeks ago. I'd like you to think through your life right now and think through where you serve as a leader. So are you a husband? Are you a a mom, a dad? Are you a grandparent? Are you a a manager at the office? You run a business? Do you coach a team? Do you lead a life group? Do you lead a Sunday school class? I'd like you to think just for a second, and on the corner of your note sheet right there, before we take notes, I'd like you to take a second and write down, and for some of you it might be one area of leadership, for others it might be five or six areas of leadership, but just quickly write down um, where you serve as a leader because as we go through these, these uh, questions, I want you to be running through the grid of your life and how these questions apply, okay? So just quickly write those down. Okay, let's jump in. Leadership success, three critical questions. Number one, the first question we need to ask when we step into a role of leadership is who are you trying to please? It's so important that we get really clear on this. Who are you trying to please? You know, the moment you step into leadership, there's going to be people that are pulling at you. They're going to be, they're going to be uh, coming at you because everyone's got an agenda. Everyone's got an opinion, right? So, for example, um, if you have like three little kids, you, you know this principle. Because you leave church today and you, you say to the family, uh, hey, we're going to go out for fast food. Where would you like to go? And the moment you put that out there, you understand the, 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 what leadership is all about. 
right? Because you got, you got one that says, oh, we got to go to In-N-Out. And someone says, oh, no, we weren't there last time. You know, we need to go to Taco Bell. I hate Taco Bell. I don't want to go to Taco Bell. You know, I want to go, and, right? And so anytime you step into leadership, people are going to be coming at you because everyone's got an agenda. Everyone's got an opinion. Nothing wrong with that. It's just a fact of life. And so the first question we have to ask is, who are we trying to please when we step into leadership? It's not just with your kids. Um, some of you are life group leaders. Have you ever noticed in your life group that there might be a couple different opinions about what you do in your life group? Yeah. Like, should we have worship or not have worship? Uh, uh, what kind of worship? Uh, should we have prayer or not prayer? How long a prayer? Uh, you know, what should we study? And have you ever noticed this? You step in to be a life group leader, you're going to have people coming at you with different agendas, right? Uh, you start a business. Some of you run a business. Ever notice your employees might have different opinions about the direction of your business or the way it's run or the way it's, you know, people dress in the office or whatever? See, the moment you step into leadership, that people are going to be coming at you with agendas, coming at you with opinions. So the question is that we have to get really clear on is who are we trying to please? Um, when your sophomore daughter in high school comes to you and says, I want to start dating. I'm 14. I'm 15. I want to start dating. Who are you trying to please? Are you trying to please her? You see, who do you report to? Uh, it's so important that we get clear on this issue because otherwise what happens, we'll tend to go in circles or get off track. Uh, otherwise, we start asking questions like, well, what's the most popular thing to do? Uh, what's the easiest thing to do? What do I want to do? You see, which are all the wrong questions. Because we're in leadership, there is one person that we're called to please. And that's what Paul says. You see? So look at your Bibles there. Chapter 4 and verse 3. And you just think of our own country and some of the, the financial scandals and corporate scandals we've been going through the last few years. Just think, what would have happened if the leaders of Enron asked the right question? Who are we trying to please? You see? Um, but look what he says, Paul. Now, remember, Paul's under criticism. A lot of people don't like his leadership. They don't think he's gifted enough. They don't have the right credentials. Uh, they don't like it. They're not trusting his motives or whatever. But notice what he says in verse 3. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Interesting, isn't it? That doesn't mean he doesn't care what they think or he doesn't love them. Of course not. It's obvious he does. But what he's saying is that when you step into leadership, the one question we need to ask is, what does God want me to do in this situation? I'm raising this sophomore daughter. What does God want to do in her life? I'm leading this business. God, what is your dream for this business? What is your plan for this business? I'm leading this little league team. God, what do you want to do on the team? You see, it's always the same question. Now, I'm not saying it's always easy to answer that question. You know, often we have to listen and pray and get wise counsel and study and learn. And there's, you know, I'm not saying so, but it's so important that we're asking that question. Who are we trying to please? Now, the Apostle Paul, this was a core value for him. In fact, leave your finger here, mark your page, but turn to the right a little bit in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And he'll say it again in 1 Thessalonians, his letter to them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll look at verse 4. Now, Paul writing to the Thessalonians about when he started the church there, he says, on the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with 
the gospel. Remember in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, he said we're servants of God. We've been entrusted with the secret things of God. Same thing he's saying here. But notice this. He says we are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You see? That the moment you step into leadership as a grandparent, as a mom, as a dad, whatever the role is, the number one question we have to ask is, God, what do you want to do in this situation? What do you want to do in this life group? What do you want to do in this ministry? What do you want to do in this situation? Who are we trying to please? Uh, there's a phrase out there calling that uh, kind of a, a, uh, the last 10 years came up, like the audience of one. Uh, have you heard that? That we, we live our life to the audience of one. What is that saying? Is that there is one that we all report to. And we perform for the audience of one. And that's what Paul's saying here. When you step into leadership, you're performing for the audience of one. This last week, I was reading uh, one of my favorite business magazines. It's called Fast Company. I've mentioned it a couple times before. I just love this magazine. Every, every month it comes, I'm just so excited to get my copy and start reading through it. Just enjoy it. And, uh, and so in this month, there was an interesting article about the, the, the uh, office furniture maker uh, co- company, uh, Herman Miller. Some of you are in business. You've heard of that company. And it's the number three uh, business furniture place in the United States. It's quite large. It's very famous for its leadership and so on, some of the innovative things they've done. Well, uh, years ago, during the, when the dot-com craze was happening, uh, there was just, uh, of course, their business, Herman Miller, was going crazy because all these new companies were starting, and so you had all this need for new office furniture, and so they were just making money hand over fist, and then came the, the dot-com bust, and they, they just went in the tank, and so now they had to downsize, they had to re-strategize, come up with new markets, new plans, and they've done that very well, and so they were doing uh, an interview with Michael Volkema, who's the chairman of the board, for Herman Miller. They were talking about this. In the midst of this article, he's talking about the decisions they had to make, the changes they had to go through, and so on. He made this one statement that just leaped off the page at me, kind of a simple statement, but so powerful about leadership. And so there, I put it there on your note sheet. It says, leadership is about doing the right thing, not the easy thing. You see? Leadership is about doing the right thing. As, As you raise your children... Leadership is about doing the right thing, not the easy thing. You see, the person you report to is not your child. In fact, I think that parents that often have the hardest time of it raising kids are parents who really feel like they have to have the approval of their children. I'll tell you something, if you need the approval of your children to feel good about yourself, you will not lead your children well. See, I I want my kids to love me, But I don't need my kids to love me. Because what I need more than anything else is to lead them according to what God wants for their life. I have to be willing to have them even hate me in the short run in order to lead them well in the long run, right? And so that's what he's saying. He's saying leadership is about doing the right thing, not the easy thing. And Paul would agree. And I've just thinking about this so much this week. I've been thinking about this, what a key this is to leadership. Throughout the Bible, you think of those who's led well and their willingness to go against the flow, stand against the crowd, and to do the right thing, not the easy thing. Like, for example, think with me, Moses. I mean, have you ever read about Moses? I mean, the guy, how many times did Israel want to stone him, right? (laughs) They were like, always like, he's like, God, help me. They want to stone me again, you know? Oh, you're okay, Moses. You're okay. Just the people. Don't worry about it. 
Well, how many times did, you know, Moses, we don't like the direction you're leading us. We're hungry. We're thirsty. It's wilderness. It's hot. It's as hot as Chatsworth out here, you know. <laughs> you think we're in the San Fernando Valley or something, you know. We want to go back. We like the food in the old place. We had garlic there. We had onions. We have no spices out here. What do you expect to see? This manna. Sick of this manna. You know, and over and over again, Moses had to stand up and say, guys, I understand you don't like it, but God really wants us to keep going. You know, and so I'm sorry, but I don't report to you. I report to God, right? I, I thought of another example. Um, Moses takes him to the border of the promised land the first time. And he sends in the 12 spies. And they come back. and They're like, oh, wow, it's amazing land. It's amazing land. Oh, but there's giants in the land. There's fortified cities. We can't take that. We'll be overwhelmed. And only two guys, remember Joshua and Caleb, stand up and they say, listen. Hey, God said we're to move forward. If God says to move forward, God will go with us. And the whole crowd wants to kill them. They said, no, 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 we need to move forward. And they stood against their leadership. And in the long run, they were the only two guys who got to go in the promised land from that generation, right? Uh, here was one of my favorites I thought of. David and Saul. You know, King Saul was out to kill David for years, right? Always chasing him. And, uh, and for no reason, David didn't deserve that. And so there's a couple times, David has his ragtag renegade band of, of, you know, several hundred men who are with him by this time. A couple times, he has the opportunity to take Saul out. I mean, Saul's right there. He's next to him. He can just whack off his head. Saul doesn't even know he's in the area. Then he has the opportunity. And his men are like egging him on. Like, kill the guy. This guy's a bad king. He's out to kill you. You got every right. Kill him. And David says, no, I report to an audience of one. And he says, no. See? I thought of Nehemiah. Here's Nehemiah. He's building the wall around Jerusalem. Total opposition from the outside, opposition from his own people. And yet he just keeps praying, God, will you strengthen my hands? I, I know this is hard. No one likes this direction we're going, but would you strengthen my hands? Because I know this assignment's from you. Um, I thought of the New Testament. Peter and John, they stand before the Jewish high court, the Sanhedrin, that just a month or two earlier had sentenced Jesus to his death. And they said, we, you can't preach about Jesus anymore. And they said, well, you know what? You're going to have to decide whether we should obey you or obey God. We're going with God, you see. And you see, it's all through the Bible that one of the characteristics of great leadership is that we have to be clear on who we're trying to please. And the one question, when God puts you into leadership, the one question higher than any other question you need to be asking is, God, what do you want me to be doing in this situation? That's where leadership begins, okay? Number two. The second question is are you living the life? If you want to lead well, the question is, are you living the life? And this has to do with being a role model, modeling out in our life. See, Paul, the Apostle Paul understood that when God puts us in a place of leadership, it's not our words that carry the most weight. It's our model. It's our choices. It's the way we do life. It's our example. And that's why he will say in chapter 4 and verse 16, we saw this today, he said, imitate me. Right? We looked at that verse. He says, imitate me. Now, I think if you're like me, you probably wondered at times, why does Paul always say, imitate me? It sounds sort of egotistical, doesn't it? Like, be like me. And it sounds like he's got a big head or something. It's not about that. It's that Paul understands that one of the most powerful ways to influence another person is our model. 
the way we do life. And if we can say, follow me as I follow Jesus, as tremendous leadership influence. And so the question is, when God puts us in a place of leadership, are we living the life? There in your note sheet, I put several examples of this from Paul's ministry. Just to give you a feel for this, what an important principle of leadership this was for him. There in your note sheet, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, it says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Let me ask you, for those of your parents, you know, can you say that in your life? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We'll come back to that. Philippians 3.17, join with others in following my example. Take note of those who live according to the pattern, like the role model that we gave you. Next one, 1 Thessalonians 1.6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 3.7-9. You yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We did this in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. See that? Over and over again. See how powerful this all runs all through his ministry. It's a major leadership principle. Philippians 4.9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me... Or catch a scene in me, there's the modeling, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Have you ever noticed the power of models in your own life? Think, think back just like to your parents and the powerful model. Have you ever found yourself doing something that you swore you would never do? <laughs> Like you're growing up and I will never do this with my kids. I can't believe it. And then all of a sudden you're 32 and you have kids and it's like, I'm doing it. You know, like, like I don't want to do this. I said I wasn't going to do this. and I'm doing this. Who's like twisting my arm here? The, the, the power of models that we just pick up things from those that were around. I was thinking it could be for positive. It could be for negative. I was thinking of my dad. Uh, it was Father's Day. And uh, my dad, I was thinking about him this week. When I was growing up, uh, my dad, every morning, would get up in the morning, 5.30 in the morning, and he would go out to the garage. It was cold concrete floor. 5.30 in the morning, he would go out. He's an electrical engineer. Before he'd start his day, and he would spend an hour having his quiet time, his time with God. And he would, he would read his Bible, and he would pray. And uh, he never made a big deal about it. I don't remember him ever saying to me, Mike, this is how, you know, when you grow up, uh, you're going to be a man. And this is how men do it. I, I don't remember anything like that. Um, I just, you know, never remember him pulling me aside like that. But I just remember he'd come in and every morning he'd do this. And even in the winter when it's cold, you know, it'd be cold and be 32 degrees out there or something. He'd be out there with a space heater in the garage. He'd have his, uh, he'd come in with his coat on or whatever and be all bundled up. But he'd been out there for an hour spending time with him. And every morning, 6.30, we'd come together as a family for breakfast. And he would come in from the cold garage. And I never made a big deal about it. And, and I thought of it many times in my life, how what a priority it's become in my life to spend time with God and how much easier that's been for me because of this model that I had. You know, he, just never, he never preached on it. He just kind of did it. But here's where it really got me. A few years ago, probably, I don't know, five, ten years ago now, I remember walking into my daughter's room. She was about a sophomore in high school. She wasn't there, and I was about to rifle through her drawers. Just kidding. Um, and, uh, and there on her bed... There in her bed is her Bible opened up that's been marked with her pen, a pen next to it, and a journal on her bed. And, and a light bulb went on in me, though I've never talked to her about spending time with God one-on-one or that sort of thing. We did, I never really said that. That here she was, a sophomore in high school, that she was now, I was realizing she had developed a habit in her life of spending time with God. And 
that moment a light went on in my head of this three-generation modeling thing that had happened. That my dad had modeled, and I'd picked up his model, and now my daughter's picking up the model. We never really talked about it. It's just the way life is. You see, people do what people see. And in our lives, if we want to have influence over the lives we, the people we lead, it's not just about what we say, it's about what we do. So let me ask you this question. Here's a question that goes over the umbrella question for all of leadership is, are you living the life that you want your followers to live? In any area of your life, are you living the life you're calling people, other people to live? Let me break that down a little bit more. Let's talk about parents, your parent. Are you living the life that you want your child to one day live? Are you, the way you do relationships in your life, are you hoping that someday your child will grow up and do relationships the same way? If you're married, are you doing your marriage in such a way that one day you'll be uh, pleased and proud that, oh, my child has a marriage like we had? See? Uh, the way you deal with conflict, the way you deal with finances, your priorities, your values. If your child grows up to be like you, will you be happy? You see, this is the question about modeling. Are we living the life? And here, you know, so many times what we think as parents is, well, you know what? Uh, uh, I'm just going to try to keep quiet what I'm really doing, and I'll keep telling them what they should be doing, and hopefully they'll do better than I did. But the problem is, is kids are way too smart. <laughs> they, they go, oh, that's just what they say. This is what they do, right? And so our kids become like us in so many ways. So are you modeling? Here's another one. You, you run a business. You run a shop. You uh, uh, run a crew. You're a, a manager at work. And you want your employees to be working a certain way. You want people to have integrity. You want them to work hard. You want them to care about. Let me ask you something. Are you setting the pace? Are you living that? Are, are you working hard? Are you living a life of integrity? Are you treating people well? When there's conflict on the job site or in your office, are you modeling how to work through conflict? Let's see. You're a life group leader. You want a group of people who come. They want to learn. They want to grow. They want to be engaged. They come prepared. They've done their homework. They want to grow. Let me ask you a question. Are you growing in your life? See, the most important quality of a life group leader is that you're growing in your life. Not that you're perfect, but that you're growing and following Jesus in your life. Because you know why? It's contagious. And people model off of that. And if you want them to come prepared, are you coming prepared? You see, are you, are you growing? Now we could go on and on. Now Paul understands the power of a model and what it means to be able to say, follow me as I follow Jesus. And so are you living the life? Now, one little sidebar before we go on to the third question. One of the most important areas that we model leadership is we model how to fail. And by that, I mean, whenever we're in leadership, we will always fail. You'll fail as a parent. You're going to fail in your job. I'm going to fail as a pastor. There's always times when we are going to fall short of the standards we've set for ourselves. And it's so important that when we fail, instead of covering up that failure, we are quick to admit that failure and model how to do failure well. And that just takes the pressure off. 
You know that sometimes we will fail. And to be able to go to your child and say, you know what? I really blew up. I lost my temper. I'm sorry for what I said. That's not the standard that I hold myself to. It's not the way I want to live. It's not the way I want you to live. And I just want to apologize. Will you forgive me? What a powerful act of modeling. See, that is. All right. Now, number three, the third question, equally important, goes like this. Are you willing to pay the price? Leadership is hard, and there's at times we have to be willing to pay the price. We see this in this chapter. Let's look again at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And Paul talks about some of the hard times in his leadership. Verse 11, to this very hour, we go hungry, we're thirsty, we're in rags, we're brutally treated, we're homeless, we work hard with our hands. Leadership was hard for the Apostle Paul. And you know what? Leadership is hard at times. And I think if we're honest, most of us are attracted to leadership for the perks of leadership. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's a good thing. There are a lot of perks. And that we're attracted because of the perks. But stop and think. Like, when a young couple decides to have children, they, we want to have a baby. You know, you know the images that are going through the head, right? It's like you're seeing images of, you know, that child five years old, hand in hand, walking down Main Street of Disneyland. And, and you've got, you see the, the snow cone or the, the um, cotton candy there. And they've got their Mickey ears on. And it's just like, it's so awesome, you know. And you hear the music in the background. And the Hallmark card's about to be formed. And we, we have visions of this, and we have visions of taking them, our son to the first Dodger game and getting their first Dodger dog. And, and, and we have visions of family vacations and one-day weddings and Christmas time. And these are the kinds of visions that, that motivate us to say, let's have children, right? <laughs> Mommy, is there anything else I can do for you? Dad, would it be okay if my sister Sarah went first this time? You know. Dad, what station would you like to listen to? You've had a hard day. Can I get you a glass of... These are the images, aren't they? <laughs> this is how we visualize our life. This is why we have children, right? You start a business, you have a vision for a business. We're going to create this incredible new product or incredible new service. And it's going to take the world by surprise. And it's going to, it's going to serve so many people. I'm going to be able to employ so many people and give them great jobs. We're going to have a great corporate atmosphere. And we're going to be a team. And we're going to have to strategize. And it's going to be so much fun. We start a ministry and we say, oh, I want to get involved in this ministry, the impact I can make on the life of children, or the impact I can make in the life of adults. And we can... Uh, we can have this, you know, vast influence. And lives are going to be changed and gifts are going to be developed and relationships are going to be formed. And aren't, these are the visions we have in our mind when we step into leadership at any level. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. That's what leadership is all about. But the reality is leadership is often hard. And you get that little baby and all of a sudden they're waking up every two hours for the first three months. And they need to be fed. And you can't figure out why they won't stop screaming. And that child you used to take to Disneyland and hold in your hands and have the Mickey ears and they have the snow cone or the, the candy in their hand is now 14 years old and they 
hate everything you stand for and they reject everything you believe and they want nothing to do with you or your God and you're asking yourself, what was I thinking? (laughs) You start that business and it takes off and employs so many people and everything's going great and then you go through a downturn in the economy and you have to make the tough call of laying off people and no one understands and everyone says you don't have a heart and you don't care and yet you know for the long term of your business you have to make these tough decisions. You start that ministry, and it's going well at first, but after a while, no one appreciates any more. And if you get any feedback, it's only because they're there to tell you what's wrong and how it could be better. And isn't this life? And this is leadership, isn't it? Leadership is hard. And here's my, here's the, the one that stands out the most, the Apostle Paul. You come into Corinth. You pay your own way. You don't accept a salary. You work for a year and a half, night and day, to love these people. You're almost arrested and thrown in jail at Corinth. You barely escape with your life. You lead these people. They come to Jesus. Their lives are changed and transformed. They're changed from the inside out. Spiritual gifts are outpouring. Life is amazing. And then you have to leave to plant churches in another area. And a couple years down the road, three years down the road, you find out the church is falling apart, that new leaders have risen up, that the people that you led to Jesus, they didn't know Jesus from a loaf of bread before you got there. The people now are saying that you don't have the credentials to be the leader. You don't have the gifts to be the leader. You're a lousy speaker. We don't want you to lead us. They're undercutting and slandering your name. Welcome to leadership. You see, leadership can be hard. And so when it is hard, are you willing to pay the price? And how do you pay that price? Let's look at how Paul dealt with this. Chapter 4 again. Chapter 4 in verse 12. We work hard with our hands. We just looked at that. He says, when we are cursed, we bless. And when we're persecuted, we endure. And catch this, when we're slandered, we answer kindly. Men and women, that is leadership at its best. That's how you do it. And you study the Apostle Paul's leadership and the way he loved this church in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. It's only going to get worse in 2 Corinthians. It's only going to get worse. And you watch his leadership, and you know what? The guy never stops loving these people. He never gives up, and he never stops loving them. And no matter what they do, he just keeps on coming and keeps on loving them. And such an amazing picture of leadership. That leadership is hard. So let me ask you, are you willing to pay the price in this areas of leadership where God has put you? Are you willing to keep loving your kids when they don't appreciate you? Are you willing to keep leading your life group when several members keep coming unprepared or don't even call, you know, they're not showing up? Are you willing to lead in your place of business even when the employees don't understand? Are you willing to continue in a ministry that's very hard and you just can't recruit even enough volunteers and no one else seems to see the need and you're the only one, you have to work double? See, these are the questions of leadership. Are you willing to pay the price? Wow, three powerful questions about leadership. Who are you trying to please? It starts there. If we don't have that one right, nothing else is going to go right. Number two, are you living the life? You're calling your followers to lead. And number three, are you willing to pay the price? Let's pray together. 
Father, we're just so thankful for your word. It is amazing. And we just would not be able to figure this stuff out on our own. But you've given us your word as a path to life. And it's so challenging. But it keeps us on track. And we're so thankful. And Lord, we're here. We're, we're leaders of all different sorts. We're moms and dads. And we're, we're husbands. And we're business leaders. And we run rigs. And we lead little league teams. And we run life groups. And lead Sunday school classes. And it just goes on and on. Lord, we are, we are your leaders. And we want to learn to lead well. God, we pray you teach us how to do that. That we'd focus in on pleasing you, playing to the audience of one. Lord, we pray that we would live out our life, that others could follow the model. And Lord, we pray that you give us the grace and the strength to lead well, even when the price is high. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Not to us, but to him be the glory. And you know, one of the important roles that he's uh, placed us in is that role of leadership. And, you know, Jesus talked about being light of the world, being salt. And when God puts you in a place of leadership, it's a place of influence. See, it's a place of influence with your family or your business, your ministry or whatever. And it's so important that we lead well, because when we lead well, then it becomes not to us, but to his name be the glory. I hope you can join us next week. Next week, we're moving into a new section of Corinthians, chapter 5. And the topic is really about accountability. And Paul's going to talk to us about, hey, when you come to Jesus, it's not just between you and Jesus. When you come to Jesus, you become part of a new community. You become part of a new family. And so you don't, it's not just you and him, it's you and all of us. And what does it mean to be in community. And so it really raises a whole issue of accountability. You know, accountability in the family of God. And so, extremely important passage of Scripture. Hope you can join us, and I'll see you then. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org, where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at the Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.